Soccer Show, and our review of World Cup Day 7. After losing their Qatar debut, Argentina pulled through. There was magic from Messi and Enzo too. Mexico now have it all to do. And if they manage to make it out, we'll all drink from a shoe. We officially know which team is the first to advance. Sacre bleu, it's Le Homme from France. They had the power and the pace to keep the French fans happy and the leading golden boot contender in Kylian Mbappé. <laughs> and not long after, we flamed them with shame. Australia! actually went and won a flaming game. Tunisia have one more game to decide their fate. As for the Aussies, it's all good, mate. <laughs> Poland came out with an attack that was fairly heavy and were rewarded with the first goal for the big man, Levy. But the Saudis in the stadium were in full voice, cheering on their heroes, who all own a Rolls Royce. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who cooks a mean pancake, Taylor <laughs> Rockwell. I like that introduction a lot. I like cooking pancakes a lot. I like that while Ryan uh, or while Joe Graham and I are watching games and taking diligent notes, I think Ryan is equally uh, into the games, but also spending a lot of time writing those introductions, which continue to improve. Solid work by you, my friend. You're very kind, Tater. Joining us today, a man whose government name is Graham Rutherford, but who sometimes can be seen in his alter ego, Left Shark. <laughs> yeah, uh, for anyone who is. Missing the context on that, Left Sharp made an appearance during our Bleach Report live show yesterday during USA England, and then post-show, I spotted uh, Left Sharp. The skin of Left Sharp had been left outside, had been disposed of outside the studio, and I thought, well, you can't pass that up. Yeah. <laughs> That's too good an opportunity. And then Left Shark, I, I believe, helped Taylor edit yesterday's, uh, yesterday's show. Super useful. And and also reminded me to drink beer while editing, which of course. was also very much appreciated. Uh, another thing I do appreciate in these introductions, doing them in person, is the look of, I'm not going to say full, but I'm going to say mild terror on Graham's face whenever the introduction turns to him. Because yes. never quite sure what it's going to be, never quite sure how insulting it's going to end up being. Yeah, another thing nice. is, Ryan, Ryan's introductions start off in one plane and then occasionally twist right at the end, and I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what I'm shooting at. But left, left Shark was a fairly recent thing that I, I did have memory of, so thank you, Ryan Bailey. You're very welcome, Graham, and it's why you love me, right? Mm. Yeah. Sure, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Cool. Also here, Graham, a man we've managed to convert into a fully-fledged fan of what we do in the shadows while we've been living in New York for the week. Uh, Joe Lowry, even. Hello. Hello, Ryan. I have enjoyed you guys introducing me to various things that, that can range from all sorts of different topics, but I do like it when the guy just yells, bat, and bat? turns into a yeah. bat, and then flies around. Bat? It's been fun. I really enjoyed it so far. Yeah, so listen, a, a peek behind the curtain. Basically, there's 5 a.m. games. We record usually about 4 or 5 p.m., we do editing, we do our Patreon duties, and then there's like 20 minutes to watch what we do in the shadows before we all have to go to bed and start again. It's, it's a good life, yeah. right? I mean, it is. It is definitely the case that I'm like, all right, what time is it? Like 8.30 we got plenty? Oh, it's 11.30 already? Yeah. And we have games in five and a half hours? Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. And then I think we all immediately see our shadows. Uh, I was I, That fits too well. I'm going to say, turn into pumpkins, go back to our mm. rooms, and away we go. Mm. Yep. And this listener is four people complaining about having to watch soccer for a living. You're very mm. welcome. Yeah. There you are. It's as difficult as working in a coal mine. <laughs> yeah. We've all established that previously. Taylor, I've heard you say that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just as well we don't work in coal mines because we couldn't turn up with that kettle that we've bought. <laughs> the middle class kettle? The, the middle class, yeah, bougie kettle. <laughs> all right. Hey. It makes a good cup of tea. It does. Friend. It does. It, it, it is very ergonomic. It pours very well, doesn't it, Ryan Billy? It pours very well indeed. <laughs> it goes you know to what? only the finest preschools. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Graham, you know what else pours very well? 
beer at Park Life in Brooklyn, oh, New York, where we will be this very morrow on Sunday as we record. Spain versus Germany is the game we will be watching. It starts at 2 p.m. Eastern. Graham, the deets, please. Yep, so uh, Spain versus Germany starts at 2 o'clock. The event starts at 12, as Ryan says. It'd be great to see as many of you there as possible. If you came to our live event at, at Littlefield, it's just around the block from there. We're going to have a quiz. We're actually coming up with the quiz questions today, some interesting ones. And then what I've enjoyed about the quiz is seeing taylor's questions and how they are different to my questions which actually uh, this sounds like i'm insulting him in some way but it's, it's it's very enjoyable taylor's a little bit more whimsical than uh than than mine but uh, Wait, yeah please can come you along. give an example well no because that would be giving away the quiz question yeah, i wrote a bunch of them you can use the one you like the, the least Tors- like the torsen frings one is very good oh, yes yes i can give that one away now i doubt you're gonna use that one are you uh, yes it's in the list oh, okay no. never mind then i won't give it away yeah so come along to part life tomorrow <laughs> fun fact we discovered today graham torsten frings inspired the oh, name of- oh, 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 oh that's in the quiz oh i thought you meant my original my original quiz question which <laughs> so that was-, was my question then okay <laughs> oh right that was a ryan bailey question of course yeah. Uh, All right. My my Torsten Frings question was, does Torsten Frings suck? And the uh, correct answer would, of course, be yes. yes. That's also That's in there, yeah. yeah. I assume okay. everyone's going to get that it's one. It's a two-parter. Yeah. It's a uh-huh. two-parter. Very good indeed. One other piece of business to discuss. Are you in the Patreon party, listener? If not, patreon.com slash totalsoccershow is the place to, de- to, place to be. We can speak properly in the Patreon. Uh, there are bonus podcasts. There's video content. We're writing a piece on there every single day. Joe... So much fun. All I can say, if if you're not intrigued enough by Graham and Left Shark costume to go hop in the Patreon, you're just never going to be. Because if you had been in the Patreon yesterday, you would have already seen Graham Ruffin <laughs> in the Left Shark costume, sitting next to Taylor, being very helpful, definitely drinking through a very real mouth slit that mm. was in the, the costume for Left Shark. Mm. I mean, you would have already known about all of this. So, I mean... What are you doing if you're not in there? I do think that if we continue to do like record uh, shows in person for different tournaments at different points, which is the thing we've talked about, we need to buy Graham a left shark costume, and oh, then agreed. that can just be the barometer for like if Graham comes out wearing that, we know Graham is in a a silly happy mood. If he comes out mm. not in the left shark, uh, then we know let him be for a little uh, bit. Let him we wake up. We can't really tell now one way or the other, <laughs> so we need some sort of indicator. Only when he does his happy dances at the end of games do we know for sure. Yeah, right? Joe trying to decipher my sar- sarcasm has been one of the fun <laughs> fun quirks of. of the this trip so far but uh yeah if in doubt joe sarcasm graham says something and i take three full beats and look at him again and say graham like do you mean that or not i can't understand we're getting better though we're getting better yeah more fun and games guys on patreon.com slash total soccer show for tss plus mm-hmm. help support our intrepid journey to new york uh where we've been making some wonderful content you'll surely agree and there's plenty more of it on the patreon uh one thing i wanted to get to before we get to the main games today uh, a quote i very much enjoyed from federico benedeschi in the gazetto mm. dello sport he says I'm a European champion, but haven't played in a World Cup. Absurd, he says. Uh, It's absurd, maybe, that Italy didn't beat North Macedonia at home to qualify for the World Cup. It's absurd they also just had to beat Bulgaria and Northern Ireland to qualify automatically. I think that's absurd, Graham. Yeah, a little bit. I do enjoy that you're still managing to get your Italy digs in there. I I think he's got so much frustration built up from Mm. the England game yesterday. He's got to vent it somehow in the easiest target. It's like the little brother that has to like uh, be the outlet for your frustration. It's it's Italy in this situation. And I mean, Bernadeschi should have gone to a different MLS team if he was trying to go to the World Cup. Toronto is not the place you go. 
to win a World Cup in Major League Soccer. Yeah, just, just down a bit. Check out Illinois. That's all I got to yeah. say. There we go. <laughs> all right, let's get to the main games of the day. We'll start off with Argentina 2, Mexico nil. A moment of magic from Leo Messi kicking oh, off the goals, hmm. breaking the deadlock. Then Enzo Martinez killing it off with a lovely curled effort as well. Joe, can I best describe this as an unattractive win with attractive goals. Yes, yes, that is a perfect description. Enzo Fernandez as well, not Enzo Martinez. Plenty of Martinez is in this team, but just so we don't confuse listeners there at oh, all. Enzo Fernandez wrong. scores a brilliant goal to cap this thing off. He comes off the bench in the second half. But I mean, the best moment of this game and one of the best moments of oh, this yeah. entire tournament is that Leo Messi goal. Graham, were you in here when we were watching that? I, I, I don't remember who was in the room at the time. It doesn't matter. Not, we're all, we all started He's yelling. He's in the basically. costume next to right, yeah. He was changing right to the right shark costume. Um, I mean, we all sort of went a little crazy in that moment. The stadium atmosphere coming into this game before the match even started, 30, 45 minutes ahead of time, was raucous. Then you get into the match, and it's still loud. Argentina needed to not lose this game. If they'd lost, they were out. And so there was pressure for them. They didn't absolutely have to win, but the win certainly helped them. And they hadn't created anything. Ryan, to get to your point about it being a pretty dull game with some lovely goals, Argentina had not played particularly well in this match. But this is why you have Leo Messi, right? I mean, this is the stuff that he buys you in major international tournaments where the margin is so incredibly thin. He gets you this 1-0 lead that essentially won the game for Argentina. It's the 64th minute. Argentina desperately needed a goal. They've been pushing and pushing and pushing. Messi receives on the top of the box. He shoots with his left foot and scores. Taylor, you pointed out that this shot has an XG value of 0.02. Yep. I mean, this is a nothing chance. But when you have mm-hmm. Leo Messi... It is a something chance. So that's, that's if you shoot it 100 times, you're scoring twice. If you shoot it 50 times, you're scoring once, basically. That's the idea, yeah. And when you're a little messy, I feel like you're scoring that like one out of every five times Could you be. hit that shot. But it, it is such a, a, an amazing goal, first of all. Just the way he could, he receives it with the first touch to completely set him up, himself up to hit it in stride. But then the finish itself, it is just inch perfect. We thought maybe it took a deflection. It did not. He just hits it that well. And that was a very obvious representation of everything I felt like he was bringing in this game, that we kept seeing him drift around, popping up in little pockets of space, and I think that was a big part of what he was trying to bring. I can't say that was necessarily... I'm sure that was a plan, but I think Mm. the plan itself was like basically overload one side, have Messi be open in a pocket of space and see what happens. But it was just... It was like technical perfection from him in moments. It was just little passes, little touches, the way he would control the ball. It just makes that difference. I think another difference maker on top of that... Correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't hear for as as raucous as this crowd was. I think it was what close to ninety thousand, eighty eight thousand, yeah. something like that. According to Qatar, yes. Well, Felipe Cardenas uh, was there covering this game live, and he said, "I think the implication was some of the attendances have maybe felt a little bit exaggerated." He said this one felt dead on. Yeah. He said it was loud. He said it was raucous. Biggest but- uh, World Cup attendance since the '94 final, apparently. Wow. I mean, it's a big game. It's it's two big teams, two well uh, supported teams, but also two fan bases that I think can turn if they're not playing well if the things aren't going well that frustration can become evident can become audible i didn't hear that today and this is an argentina team that lost their opener we talked about how that was maybe an unfair scoreline a bit uh but in this one in in the second half when it was still nil nil it felt like things weren't working it it struck me that there was no negativity that i could hear there wasn't that sense of pressure that sense of doom it felt like the crowd was there to pick the team up uh messi's celebration he runs to the crowd you can see how much it means to him and the team and it just seemed like 
if Argentina do end up making a run, this will be a big part yeah. of that story. And it, and it felt very much like the second game, I came through and, and spoke about this comparison, there was a, a second game that Argentina played at the 2014 World Cup against right. Iran, where things aren't really happening for them. It feels like they're, they're grinding through games and Messi scores a, a, a goal from outside the box. And Argentina win that game 1-0 and then that kind of propels them onto the final. And it felt like a similar sort of release. Obviously, we don't really know what's going to come after this game, but very much in terms of the atmosphere, I thought the atmosphere was one of the best things about this match, actually. Yeah. Um, th this World Cup has been a lot about empty seats and, and, and not such great atmospheres. But yeah, it really felt like that atmosphere pushed Ar Argentina on. And we spoke about after the first game, the emotional baggage from losing that first game. Now you flip it, you, you, it feels like maybe an emotional boost from winning this one. Uh, a Parks and Rec reference for a moment when Leslie Nope delivers like a picture perfect presentation while being uh, crazy ridden with the flu and she's like hallucinating and talking to walls but then yeah. she switches it on and I think Ben Wyatt uh, his response to that is like that was Leslie Nope it was Michael it was Michael Jordan the flu game pauses that was Leslie Nope this was Lionel Messi mm. and as much as I sometimes think the goat conversation is overblown that he's the greatest of all time whatever it may be. That goal was just like, yep, that's exactly what I expect of Lionel Messi. Mm. That's what makes him that next level player oh. is to be able to hit a ball like that in that critical moment to be the man of that team mm. that is so talented. It, it was just a really, really great moment. It was genuinely one of my favorite moments of this World Cup so far. And I'm not a huge Messi fan. I'm not a huge Argentina fan. I just love that goal. I still think there are some questions over his his general role in, the, in this team, though. That's a, a fantastic moment. And he he has a knack, obviously, stating mm. the obvious for, for producing them. But his positioning and his role was a bit confusing to me. I know he's become a different player, particularly this season at PSG. He's more of a creator now than he was a few seasons ago. But... Joe and I were talking about this, particularly in the first half, or was it the start of the second half, but he was often the deepest lying midfielder in that unit. And that might be a reaction to not having someone like Lo Celso, but in my opinion, Argentina needed someone to pass the first line of, of the Mexican press and then get it to Messi. And yeah. maybe that's where the goal actually comes from, one of the few instances where they're able to do that. Paredes, for me, should be that player. Um, he has the passing range to do that job, but he was one of the players who came out of the team from the Saudi Arabian game. And in a weird way, it felt like an overreaction from the Saudi yes. Arabian game. And in general, and I don't mean to be a contrarian, there's probably listeners shout shouting at me here, but... There was more to like about the Argentina performance from the game they lost than the game they won here in terms of the general profile of how they played. Agreed, Graham. I, I completely agree with you on that. I didn't really think Argentina's tactical setup in this game was all that good. They did one thing well, which was to limit Mexico. If you're trying to win soccer games, limiting your opponent's chances is a really good way to start winning games. But they needed to get something, or ideally they would have gotten three points out of this game. They didn't absolutely need to, but this is a huge result for them. And Graham, you're, you're talking about it right there. They lacked a lot of central midfield presence in this game. I thought Rodrigo DePaul had a, a pretty poor performance. A lot of sloppy passes. I didn't think his positioning was all that good either. He has that terrible first touch that could have made it. On I a break, 2-0 at right? the moment, yeah. or maybe that was 3-0. But yeah, that was one where it felt like a certain American substitute coming in and dribbling with the ball. <laughs> Taylor hates Shaq Moore now. I don't know. Taylor has an irrational <laughs> hatred for Shaq Moore. Maybe it's not irrational. Anyway. Argentina, I have an irrational frustration. Argentina kept pulling, or Guido Rodriguez kept pulling himself back in between the center backs, which vacated half of the double pivot space in central midfield. And then DePaul would either rotate back into the back line, he would shift wide into the fullback space, or he would push up. And there was just giant hole in the middle of Argentina's midfield, which made it really easy for Mexico to compress them in their 5-3-2. Tata Martino makes a change in this game, goes to a, a different shape than we saw in match day one against Poland. 
And it, it was working for Mexico, really. If they were trying to absorb Argentina's pressure, it was working to that end. So I didn't love Argentina's setup in this game. I didn't really love how they played. I think Scaloni overreacted in terms of making those five changes. I do think Paredes should be in this team. At the end of the day, though, Argentina lived to fight another day, and three points against Poland is the only result, as far as they can control, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, that will guarantee them a spot in the in the next round of the World Cup. Mm. Obviously separating out whatever happens in that other game, because yeah. let's not forget, those matches will happen yeah. at the same time. They need a win to be sure, but they could go through correct. a draw. Correct, yeah. yeah. So, Joe, is the moral of this story here for Scaloni to not try and be defensive in future? I, I think so. I mean, I, I felt like this was a strange decision from him to change up as much as he did, allowing really Argentina's best players to be on the field together. I think Paredes is one of those players. Getting those guys on the field as a group is important and mm-hmm. continuing to go for it. They're going to have to go through Poland unless they hear something from the other game and there's a chance that that's going to change a little bit of the mentality at halftime or whatever. There's a lot that can happen here, but Argentina, they need to go out there and from their perspective, the goal should be to get three points. I am not fully confident in this team doing that against a Poland team that is perfectly willing to just make your life and every viewer's (laughs) life absolutely miserable. But Argentina have the talent to get the job done. There's no doubt about it. Well, that's the thing, Joe. I was just going to come on to the individuals. And obviously the individual performance performances are linked to how Scaloni sets up his team tactically but if we're being slightly reductive about it looking through this Argentina team there's just too many players too many many individuals in this team who didn't perform weren't utilized at all Latara Martinez had four touches of the ball through 30 minutes of this match Argentina just were not able to feed him in behind at all largely due to Messi being too far away from an area where he could do that but nonetheless as Joe says hole in the middle of midfield even the fullbacks Acuna and Montiel starting as the fullbacks I thought they offered little and if you stretch the pitch by going wide then in theory maybe you create that space in the middle for players to go in there but they were pretty pretty static and that space never appeared so there's just too many players in that Argentina team today and I contrast it with Saudi Arabia, where, as I say, I yeah. kind of like that performance better. Today, there's just not enough um, individual, good individual yeah. performances within that te- tactical setup either. To play Scaloni's advocate for a moment, though, how much of that do you think is him getting his tactics wrong or maybe him not setting them up the best or choosing the wrong personnel versus what Mexico were trying to do? Because it felt to me from the jump that Mexico were very content for this to be a draw mm-hmm. or at the very least expected Argentina to be very aggressive after that loss to Saudi Arabia. And knowing that Argentina were go- going to be going at them, it felt almost a little bit like the U.S. at times, that they were basically trying to sit off, trying to frustrate, looking to hit on the break where they could. I don't think they did nearly as good of a job as being proactive and alleviating some of that pressure, but it did seem to me like Mexico were trying to make this an ugly, frustrating game. They were, 100%. And that's why I think a a big part of why Tata Martino goes to the third center back. He adds that on for the start of this match. In that 5-3-2 shape that I mentioned, you have Chucky Lozano and Vega up top. They're they're trying to get him behind, right? That's the only goal for this team. You know, Mexico didn't really need much out of this game. It's sort of a similar situation to the U.S. yesterday where three points helps them quite a bit. That puts them on four at the end of this day. And and their situation headed into match day three is a lot different than it is right now. But the difference between a draw and a loss wasn't that big for them. So maybe we were were going to start to see them push forward a bit. But then Messi Mm. scores his goal. And the calculus of the game. Yeah, I just think Jimenez changes. was subbing on before that yeah. goal is scored. So yeah, maybe that would have been the case. Yeah. The thing about Mexico, and I, I did their preview, and I watched quite a bit of them for that preview, is just I don't, I don't trust that they've got another gear. This is, this is how they play. Mm-hmm. And I think if you didn't understand why Mexico fans are unhappy with Tata Martino and how the, the team plays under him, I think you probably get it now, having watched them f- for two games at this World Cup. They just don't ever commit bodies forward. Um, and and. The number of times that Lozano 
in particular yeah. would get into an attacking position. There was one moment in this game, and that kind of reflects it. Kind of reflects um, how Mexico played. Lozano running up the right side, he he gets there, does well, yeah. holds off maybe a couple of Argentinian players. Looks up, there's three more Argentinian players around him. <laughs> yeah. Not a single Mexican player in the opposition half. He looks three times. He keeps looking. Like anybody drives another like ten yards. Anybody drives another ten yards. It was such a sad moment for him. You worked so hard, Graham. You're dead on right. Yeah, and, and they set up in that 3-5-2, three, three, and the two of you are right. That is the, the, the purpose of that is to frustrate Argentina, and they did that to a sense, yes. to a point even. They just don't have another gear. They yeah. don't ever shift out of first or second gear into, into the next gear, and that is the problem with this Mexico team and why I don't have any faith that they're actually going to make the last 16. Yeah, well, Mexico are bottom of the table at the moment with one point. To have any chance, Graham, of reaching the last 16, they have to win against Saudi Arabia. But as you say, they just look a bit toothless, don't they? And mm. is, is this below par from what you think of them, or is this what you were expecting? It's not the best generation of Mexican players, I would say. Um, in terms of a number nine, Raul Jimenez a few seasons ago was maybe that player. I don't really see who the natural player, the, the, the natural apex of that team is. Yeah. So I kind of have some sympathy with Tata using Vega and Lozano. And there is a, a tactical reading of that that says maybe that's the way to go. But I know Saudi Arabia have, uh, it's difficult to get a read on Saudi Arabia at this tournament as well. We're going to have, we're going to have a discussion about them later, but I, I really just don't have any faith in, in this Mexico team at all. Any faith, Tato? I mean, I, I think this group is wide open, but no, on the basis of what we've seen so far, I don't think that they... We, what I always say is you want to see a team sort of figuring things out as they go from one game to the next. You want to see them making logical changes based on the opponent, but also based on what's worked previously. And with that in mind, I think Tata Martino will struggle to know exactly what will allow them to attack, but still have the defensive uh, solidity they need. I, I don't think Mexico are in a very good position to get out of this group, and I think Ooh. it's going to take a very, very big result and a little bit of help on top of that. I think we could see Saudi Arabia or Poland uh, advance much more readily than Mexico. Indeed, Poland on top with four points, Argentina with three, the Saudis with three also, and as mentioned, Mexico with one point. So Poland only need a draw. They could get through with a defeat in theory. Argentina need a win against Poland to be sure, uh, but they could go through with a draw as well. Saudi Arabia need a win to be sure. They could go through with a draw as well. And Mexico, as mentioned, need a win with any chance to go through. This is the point where we'd usually take a quick break, but we're going to just have a little thought about how we might want to do an artefact. And then we're going to come straight back in because this is an ad-free episode, baby. Woo! Let's get to France 2, Denmark 1. And Mbappe bracing this one and an Andreas Christensen consolation to a deserved win for France, Joe. Yeah. Uh, Kylian Mbappe, the golden boot leader with three goals now. Yeah, and France the first team to lock up a spot in the round of 16 as well. This was a good performance from them against a quality Denmark team. Graham, you and I were talking before this game. You mentioned Denmark had beaten France home and away in the Nations League. They had had relative success in both of those matches. There's some confidence here for Denmark, even though they hadn't started out their own tournament against Tunisia probably in the way they would have wanted to. France come into this game, and, and they held Denmark to very, very little for the first real stretch of this match. Denmark didn't look particularly dangerous, and a lot of that, I think, comes down to France being pretty solid defensively. And that, that defensive setup from France maybe didn't have a huge impact on the final score, but it did highlight Mbappe. And that is something that very much has happened for France over and over again throughout this tournament and throughout previous ones and all of the time in between the last World Cup and this one. When France were defending in this game, they changed their shape a little bit. They didn't ask, Didier Deschamps didn't ask Mbappe to drop back into the midfield line. Instead, he had Griezmann do that. And Griezmann, I thought, was huge in this game. And maybe we'll touch on him more later. But Mbappe basically hung 
high on the left wing, maybe tucking into the left half space, and Giroud was the other high point for France. And then they had this lopsided midfield line where it was Rabiot shifting out to the left wing to play as a left-sided midfielder in defense. Dembele on the other side, he was deeper much more often for France in this game. And then you have Chouameni on the left side of central midfield and Griezmann dropping next to him. I thought that was a really smart and, and clever twi twist, really tactical tweak, whatever you want to call it from Deschamps, to leave Mbappe high for those attacking transition moments. And that's where France almost made their money multiple times and mm -hmm. did sort of make their money on the first goal. There's a sequence in the first half that got, in, that got a, a real whoop out of me, basically. It's this ball in behind to Mbappe oh, yeah. that's played. And there's no, he has no business killing Mbappe getting to this ball at all. He manages to split multiple Denmark defenders. It's Christensen that has to bring him down because he realizes, oh my, Mbappe's about to dust all of us and run in behind one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. Christensen brings him down. There were multiple moments just like that one in this game. France set up to play to Kylian Mbappe, and Kylian Mbappe scored two goals today. To emphasize that point, uh, when that happens, when Christensen has to take down Mbappe, I thought it was one of those situations when the player doesn't know that there's another person there, and so he goes to kind of clear the ball, and Mbappe's running through, and he gets him accidentally. When you watch the replay from that one angle, it's a momentary like, oh no, he is going to score a goal, and grabs him. In that way... I think another couple yards, or if there aren't quite as many people around them, that's probably a red card. Because if if he doesn't do that, Mbappe is in on goal, there's no one around him, and certainly no one is catching him with the wheels he has. So, yeah, I think that was a pretty good illustration of just how good Kylian Mbappe can be. Mbappe has now scored 50 goals for club and country in a calendar year for the first time, because mm. we all love the calendar year metric in <laughs> soccer, of course. Uh, only two players have scored seven World Cup goals before turning 25. Mbappe and... Pele. Pele! Ding, ding, ding. Three points for Graham Rutherford. Graham, is there anything more fun at this World Cup than watching Mbappe have the zoomies and just <laughs> take off like that? Uh, no. It is the most fun thing to watch in, in, in football. And I have this theory that, and I can't remember if I've said this on the show or whether it was just to, to Joe but I've got this theory about this France team and that actually the injuries have, have helped France lean into an area of their team that is the strongest which is the attack and also just have a bit more energy so I think if you look at Paul Pogba I don't think he covers as much ground at this point in his career that Chouameni does so that allows uh, Deschamps to play Griezmann in a free role and the same team as Giroud Mbappe and Dembele and I think Dembele in terms of his role alongside Mbappe, not really alongside, but in the same team as Mbappe. That just means that opposition teams are not able to gang up on Mbappe yeah. as well. So it might be a slightly reductive point, but when you have all those attackers, you have Chouameni and everything that he does, the way that he breaks up attacking moves and then drives the ball forward as well. And then all those attackers who all seem to know their own role within yeah. this team. For a team that has, we thought might be kind of thrown it together a little bit, particularly because France have played with the same team in the same way under the shots for so long, I expected a more more disjointed performances from them at this World Cup. They're looking pretty functional at the moment and this is a good Denmark team they've been slightly disappointing at this tournament I expected more of them but this is a good team and France still look pretty comfortable against them one one interesting thing in the 2018 World Cup Mbappe ends up playing on the wing right as the tournament goes on it's Blaise Matuidi right on the other wing yep. for them in that tournament in this particular competition it's been Dembele on one side and Mbappe on the other but one thing that I think is very similar from 2018 now to 2022 is France play this very lopsided game in, in match day one against who that, Australia, that would have been, Lucas Hernandez goes down with an injury, a more defensive option at left back, and his brother Teo Hernandez comes in, and he wants to get forward. And he and Mbappe combine for France's first goal in this match. On the right side, on the first game it was Pavard, in this game it's Koundé. 
both of those players at right back want to sit deeper. And this is the part, this is the unbalanced part that I think is similar from 2018 to 2022. In this game against Denmark, France really focused on overloading the left side. They had Mbappe over there. They had Teo Hernandez over there. Griezmann would drift onto that side and they had Rabiot shifted towards the left as well. On the right side, Conde was staying deep. It was pretty much just Ousmane Dembele on that right side. France could overload on the left. There, there's this uh, concept in soccer, overload to isolate. They would overload on the left, draw Denmark over to that side, Denmark's right side, France's left, then switch the ball over to Dembele, and Dembele is one of the best dribblers in the world right now. And so then Dembele has time to impact the game, and he doesn't get on the box score. But I think Dembele has been productive in, in moments throughout this tournament. Deschamps has drawn up, Graham, to go back to your personnel thought there, Deschamps has, has drawn up some nice balanced or, or imbalanced with a purpose kind of tactical game plans for France. And maybe the personnel they have right now are the right people to go out there and execute. Who I, oh, sorry. I just can't believe that he's found a way to get, I mean, so many managers at, at international level have tried to find a way to get their best attackers on the pitch at yeah. the same time. And it always ends up being you overcomplicate or you basically overly focus on that to the detriment of your defense. I cannot believe that Deschamps seems to have found a way to get Griezmann, Mbappe, uh, Dembele, and who am I leaving out? Uh, Giroud on the pitch yeah. together, and it seems to be working. Uh, I'm genuinely pretty shocked by that. And one. Griezmann, for me, is the impressive one. Agreed. Deschamps has unlocked something in Griezmann yep. for this World Cup. It's been a long time since we've seen him be this influential for, for any team, not just France, for Atletico Madrid as well. And I'm not entirely sure how to describe the positioning role he's playing for, for France. I know FIFA keeps putting him in the midfield three in their graphics, which I'm, I'm looking at now. And I guess that's true sometimes because he is dropping deep to, to pick up the ball and drive it forward. But he, he has the freedom to essentially link up in whichever way he, he can. And if you're an opposition team, I guess, in theory, you can feasibly stop M- Mbappe by sticking on him. But if you have Dembele dragging away attention and then Griezmann is the, is the supply line, that's so formidable to, to, to play against. And it's also a very good use of Griezmann's defensive qualities to, to have him often as the, as the first line of, of defence, because that was always one of his best qualities as an attacker, was his pressing game and, and closing down. And now France are kind of making good use of that in, in midfield. So I'm not quite ready to call Antoine Griezmann a, a midfielder just yet, mm. but a lot of his purpose is in the central unit of that team. And I just hope that uh, Diego Simeone is taking some notes, because it's been a while since we've seen Griezmann play this well. It, ha- it has been, and it's fun to see him play just with a flourish, with clearly like enjoying his football. And I think that freedom allows him to pop up in areas that we wouldn't have expected. I assumed he was the one for the uh, for the winner that uh, puts in the cross, but I thought it was a cross from deeper. I thought he carried the ball forward and crossed it. And when you go back and watched, it's what? Uh, I think it's uh, Kunde who yeah, gets down there and cuts it so. back. And then it's a cutback, I think, to Griezmann, who puts it in inch perfect. It's great delivery, but it's him on his left foot on the right-hand side playing that ball. And, and I think just his involvement in the attack has been excellent. He has that other one in the first half. Uh, where he brings a ball down, a very difficult ball with a person on his back. Uh, he chests it down and then volleys it while in stride. I think he puts it over or just wide. Uh, but even that one, I think, is just like it shows you the spark he can have. It has also uh, been the motivating thing for me in realizing how annoying he should have done better there. <laughs> Truly can be. Because sometimes I, I think... But I know Joe doesn't like that phrase, and sometimes we say it just to annoy Joe. Sometimes I think it still is the case for me that if you are eight yards out and you're one-on-one with a goalie, you should be scoring. But in this case, I think Kobe Jones said, like, oh, he's got to be doing better there. That's just wasteful. And it's like he brought down a ball with his chest and then hit it in stride while someone was shoving him. Like, there's no should be doing better, especially when that shot was 20 yards out. I I think, Joe, I'm a convert to that idea that maybe that's one of the more overused and least necessary phrases. We'll get you on the eight yards out one next. We're getting closer and closer. Counterpoint, though, 
He had to do better there. I mean, he did, probably did. He probably Ryan, did. if anything, he's hit it too well in that moment. <laughs> Joe, France are the first team through to the knockout stages guaranteed. They're the only team to have won both their games as well. Is there an argument they're the most complete unit in this tournament so far? Yeah, I think there is an argument for that. I still don't love... I know I gave credit to Didier Deschamps and his, his tactics. I don't always love how they play. I think they can be a bit conservative, much like Fernando Santos in Portugal and Southgate in England, but... There is a pretty clear track record of those teams having success in international competition. So, yeah, I think this team has a good balance in this game. We see Rafael Varane in the back line. He's an excellent player. We see Jules Koundé in the back line over Benjamin Pavard. He's an excellent player as well. The defense is strong on a personnel level, and they don't overextend themselves very often either. So they get help from the midfield line. They get help from Olivier Giroud and whatever half of Kylian Mbappe feels like depending in, defending in any particular moment. And then they are very scary when they have open field. But the questions I still have about this team is what happens when they face a competent defensive block or, or a really good press. I'm not sure between Australia and this game against Denmark that they've really faced either of those things. But still, I mean, from what we've seen so far, yeah, Ryan, they might be the most complete team. As okay. long as we're posing questions, I would like to pose one for Graham. I will mm. make it three words. Graham, that's four. Graham, uh... What Denmark doing? <laughs> uh, losing and <laughs> n- not living up to their pre-tournament billing, which is very disappointing for me. I don't really know what's going on with their attack at the moment. I think that is a big part of the problem. They're not progressing the ball down the wide areas as, as I expected them to. Cornelius has, has come into that team. He starts this game. He came off the bench in the last, in the last game. It just feels like they don't really know what their approach is in the attacking third at, at, at the moment. And they're not controlling games either. So Christian Eriksen, I felt like we saw very little of, of, of him in this game. So the key players that you would expect, like Damsgaard, Eriksen, I thought uh, Andreas Christensen was okay. Obviously gets the goal, but even beyond that, set pieces are a big thing for him. For them, we hadn't seen anything from them in the set pieces side of things until they scored today. So that might be the key for the rest of the tournament for them. Yeah, it's a difficult question to answer. I'm scrambling a little bit because I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you've done a good job of explaining why they should be doing better and what some of the issues might be. Would you put them in the sort of Mexico category of no. in, a, in a lot of trouble? We're not quite sure what happens. Uh, but Mexico are exactly the team that I expected them to be. Whereas Fair. Denmark, of which which maybe that gives Denmark a lower. Grade. If, if the if at the tournament they are doing even worse than that then yeah more confusing mexico exactly cool, cool, cool. indeed well as france are going through in this group australia in second spot with three points and they played denmark graham in that final game australia mm-hmm. denmark in the final game and also tunisia france so denmark need to beat australia and better at least or match tunisia's match against france basically to be able to go through here does that sound if like, you say so. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, yeah, they've got to win <laughs> against Australia, which Australia have already got three points. They have the to win, and then Tunisia needs to not beat France by a lot, basically, Correct. is what needs that's, to happen. Yeah. That is, that's very, result, that is yeah. very doable in this game. 538 has World Cup projections based off of, you know, however they build their statistical models. And Denmark right now are sitting at a 51% chance to make it into the round of 16. The U.S., not to worry anyone, but is sitting at a 38% chance. So they have the whole list down of most likely teams and least likely teams. On the whole, Denmark is looking fine in their group right now. All right. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about who Denmark will face in that final group game? Australia, mate. Tunisia nil, Australia won. Sorry, I'll stop doing that now. I mean, I like it. 
<laughs> First win at the World Cup since 2010 for Australia here at the Al Janoub Stadium. Massive support, Joe, for Tunisia at this one. It seems like the atmospheres are getting better and better at this tournament, or maybe they're just changing the uh, audio mix on the broadcast. Either way, <laughs> this one seemed like there was a, a rowdy Tunisian audience uh, here, but a Mitch Duke header making the difference for Australia. And a big display from Matt Ryan in goal, too. Yeah, this was not my favorite game, I'll admit. It was also a pretty tough one to have as the 5 a.m. <laughs> slot for today. So, I mean, there's some bits and pieces to like here in this game. I do need to become a favorite for all of us. We see Tunisia mostly in their same three at the back shape in this game that they pulled out against Denmark. And then Australia do enough in this match, really, to get three points. Their odds, I just mentioned Denmark's there. Their odds are just slightly worse than Denmark at this point. They're sitting at 45% chance to make it on to the next round. So 538 does give them uh, a chance to make it through after that game against Denmark that will come up later on this week, next week, today's Saturday, I guess it'll be next week, whatever. Either way, Australia come out in the same 4-4-2 shape that they used against France. But hey, lucky for them, they weren't playing France today. Isn't mm-hmm. that nice? It's a nice little change of events. <laughs> the goal in this match that Duke heads in felt like a very goal in an Australia-Tunisia game. So it comes in from the left side. It's my it favorite is, thing. It's a ball played into the box. What does it take? Like eight different deflections in route to, to Duke's head? And he finds the back of the net? Can I take it even further back? Please Because it really do. is. This goal was such a Australia-Tunisia goal. Uh, it's around an eight-pass move. I didn't DVR this one. So I had to watch it on demand, which meant I couldn't rewind. But I believe it was eight passes. Seven of them are in Australia's half, including the long ball out from Sutar. That's mm. how I'm supposed to say it, right, yes. Graham? If Sutar, I want to know right, Graham. Ha- Big Harry Sutar, I think, is his full name. <laughs> there it is. He plays it out to, to Duke, who's dropped in. He lays it off to Aaron Moy. Aaron Moy plays it wide to Goodwin. And then Goodwin has the deflected, deflected cross. Uh, but all of those passes occur in Australia's half, yeah. including the one that unleashes Goodwin. And then it's a deflected cross. It's a great header from Duke. But just that it's all the passes in Australia's half, a deflected cross, and then a like a muscular goal. It felt like a goal that Sam Kerr would be very proud yeah. of, basically. Mm. Yeah, and, and not just in terms of the goal. I think Mitchell Duke in, in, in general, he, I don't want to be disparaging about this Australia team, but I, I feel like he embodies a lot about them. Graham at this hates World Cup. this Australia team. To be clear <laughs> to every listener out there, Graham I mean, we despises were quite this team. Of the first game as yeah, well, to be fair. I think I called them the worst team at this World Cup. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, they are limited in terms of their individual talent. Costa Duke plays for. I was going to say, Taylor. I was going to say. He plays for a second division team in Japan. I, I believe, I read, I don't know if this still holds after the games that came after this, this, this game. Game, but I believe he's the first second tier player to score at this at this World Cup. Uh, but nonetheless, he's he's very physical. He's very effective. Excuse me, at being a, a physical focal focal point, and he does maximise his talent. And I think that is reflective of this team as as a whole. There was a bit of a debate before the match over well whether uh, Duke should play or whether it should be Jamie McLaren or uh, Come Dog Millionaire, of course. But uh, Talby and, and Mariah just couldn't really track. Duke's runs whenever a cross came into the box and obviously that's where the winning goal comes from via about eight deflections on the way there. That name will never not make me uncomfortable. I've learned that now. Every time it's said, there's a little bit of just like, where are we going with this? I get nervous. I get nervous. (laughs) I like the name Mitch Duke. It's so Australian sounding. Mitch, who's coming over to Salvo? Ask Mitch Duke, mate. <laughs> Can we just get Ryan to do the full episode? In, in I, this I mean, spot? we've talked about doing an entire episode with fake accents. I think mm. we've learned which one Ryan will be doing it with. Uh, that would be as entertaining as parts of this game. The first 20 minutes were rough. Uh, by the numbers, uh, very physical. There were 17 aerial duels won, 12 tackles, 7 dispossessions inside the first 20 minutes. Uh, lots of stoppages, very up in the air, and then fouls, and then free kicks, and then some more up in the air, and then some more fouls. I think Tunisia, the more physical of the two, 
but that also, in my mind, made them less likely to calm it down and move the ball. So I think in some ways they basically kept ceding control of this game to Australia such that when they do get caught out, it's with them sort of spread out but still scrambling to make defensive plays. I thought this was a pretty disappointing game on the whole from Tunisia. Not that we have especially high expectations, but I think they're a team that seemed to be moving hmm. in a more positive momentum heading into the World Cup and yet I think are relying mostly on the physicality yeah. and the uh, spirit to try to get results. And that was the disappointing thing about the second half performance was over time it just felt mm. like it was getting more and more direct. This game yep. had the, the lowest pass completion rate of any game at this tournament. Oh, 70. I forgot to include that. Yeah, it was 71% to 73 in the first yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah, Which kind of gives you an idea of, of how this game went. And for Australia, given the way that they played, they set up in a in, in a 4-4-2 and maybe it was just recency bias having watched the, the USA-England game yesterday, but it felt like a a similar sort of ploy to stop Tunisia playing mm. through the middle of the pitch. And that was effective for, for Australia. Aaron Moy, I thought, was very good when he needed to get on the ball, but it wasn't a controlled performance from Australia. They wanted the game that they got. For Tunisia, they didn't really want this game, and, and that wasn't ideal for them. I'm still really frustrated. Here, here's what I wrote in my preview. Uh, Tunisia only scored 12 goals in qualifying, the second fewest of any African side behind Ghana. In their two-legged playoff with Mali, they had a nil-nil draw and a one-nil win, courtesy of an own goal. They failed to reach an XG of one over those two two games. But since then, they had friendlies against Chile and Japan. They won those two games by a scoreline of 5-0, uh, combined scoreline of 5-0. They had been creating more opportunities, playing better soccer. Ben Slimane had been a big part of that. He has not started either of these games. He's been a late sub in the first game, wasn't used at all in this one. And I don't know why there haven't been more attacking adjustments to try to get something out of this, because if you're Tunisia, this is a game against Australia. Again, no disrespect to Australia, but it, it was, to me, a game that either team could win. And I think three points there would have been a really big result. And it didn't feel like they truly went for it. Taylor, Isa Laiduni watch, uh, the player who stole the show in the first game with yes. that crunching tackle on Christian Eriksen. And then he turned into Ric Flair to yes. sort of pump up the crowd. Uh, I think we had kind of similar moment when uh, we, he won a header off Craig Goodwin and he tried to yes. wrestle it up a little bit. But he was the player who was kind of everywhere for Tunisia in that first game. How was he here? Uh, not as involved as I had hoped he would be because I predicted he would have what at least four or five yeah. ground duels I think he only had three he only won two of those he does have that moment you're right when he pumps up the crowd and I think Joe had pointed out that it was a pretty a good atmosphere a lot of Tunisian fans there and at the end of the day though it, it's not really much more than a physical game where he was running around sort of making plays but ultimately not in the maybe creative way that Tunisia needed to get something out of this one all right, then. Any more for any more on this one, Joe? Shall we move on to the final game? Move it. Oh, let's move it. Poland 2, Saudi Arabia 0. Uh, a more entertaining game, we could say, here in Education City. Certainly a more... Base, uh, <laughs> that Poland, is a real city. I, just I genuinely case. forgot and thought Ryan was just goofing around for a second. Right? Education City? <laughs> yes. It sounds like something from a Lego movie. It really does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or, or honestly, generic like FIFA. Like If they yeah. don't have enough stadium names, then it's... Martin Tyler saying something about Education yeah, City like, on EA FIFA Sports 10. Arena. Education City mm. Stadium Arena of gold I don't know I think it's 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 like a maybe a Middle Eastern translation thing so I was in Dubai recently and they have internet city they have uh education city they have all these different kinds of cities internet well. city is internet, that just a giant internet cafe I don't series, understand it's a series of tubes so if you need oh, if see. you need to use internet in Dubai you have to go to internet city oh that's and use one of the internet Starbucks's. Oh. Oh, okay fair enough so they're doing better than circuit city though I'm guessing internet city <laughs> something like that anyway we're going slightly off track uh, this game belongs can I ask a quick question I'm sorry to derail us does Joe know what circuit city is Ah, I know what circuits are, and I oh, know what no, cities Joe are. Oh, no, doesn't know what Circuit City is. Ryan, you can keep us moving. That's upsetting to me. I've got to say, I don't really know what it is. You wouldn't, because ah! it's an American. It's like Best Buy's competitor that lost, but they okay. used to be the big thing. 
And Joe not knowing them. Taylor, history remembers the winners, not the losers. <laughs> that's a fair I'm point. just thinking of Short Circuit, those movies from the 80s. That's always, always coming to mind. There we go, indeed. <laughs> a pretty entertaining game this was, at least by Poland standards, shall we say. Robert Lewandowski scoring his first ever World Cup goal in his fourth World Cup. And you could see how much it meant to him because he made a big song and dance of it and cried a little bit on the pitch, which was kind of beautiful in yeah. a way. After the game, he said, all the dreams from my early childhood were fulfilled here. So he's done it always, won leagues. He's mastered TikTok, and now Joe, he's got the World Cup goal. Under the big his belt. three. I the mean, what, three. what more do you need on your post-playing career resume? <laughs> I, don't, I really couldn't tell you what else should be on that list. No, it is. It is a really good moment for Robert Lewandowski, and it is a really good moment for Poland in this game to get the win. As good as that moment was for Lewandowski, I don't think it was the biggest moment for Poland in this game. They go up 1-0 off of an absolute banger of a finish from Zielinski, who I have highlighted multiple times throughout our World Cup previews and even into the, the first game, even though he didn't have a ton of impact in that match for Poland against Mexico. He does get a, a really nice goal to go 1-0 up and absolutely smashes it into the back of the net. But then Saudi Arabia get a penalty later on in this match, and it's Chesney, Graham's favorite player, oh, yes. the goalkeeper on the Graham Ruffin's favorite, I heart fill-in-the-blank, mm. five-a-side team. Chesney mm. makes not just one save, but two saves in a penalty kick sequence. Saudi Arabia get the penalty. Chesney saves the initial shot off uh, from the spot, and then the ball comes to an, a different Saudi Arabia player who shoots, and Chesney saves that rebound as well. Then later on in the match, he saves another shot with his thigh, sort of un unintentionally, but he's throwing himself at the ball in that moment, and it, it was a good moment for him in that, uh, in that sequence. So Chesney did a lot of really good stuff in this game, Poland, I'm, I'm still not all the way sold on. To be fair, they have four points from two games. That's about as good as I think they could have hoped heading into a, a final match with, what would that be, Argentina, right? Mm. I mean, it's not going to be the easiest match for them on match day three, but they got the job done today. Yeah. Yeah, much like the Mexico game that Poland, they weren't terribly interested in progressing the ball or getting many players in around Lewandowski to support him. They're, they're just so slow when they have the, have the ball. And I can understand why teams look to sit deep and then hit out on the, on, on the counter. But to do the first part of that and then not have much else beyond that, it's, it's frustrating to watch, especially for a team that don't really have to be like that. They do deserve some credit for the way they went. I, I guess from first gear to second gear as they looked for a second goal. Obviously, the, the that second goal comes from a, a Saudi defensive blunder. But before that, Milik and uh, Lewandowski himself actually hit the woodwork. And, and it felt like Poland at that point were doing slightly more to exploit the, the, the wide areas. But it's, it's shades of grey. It was still very restrictive stu stuff in terms of their attacking focus. Yeah, uh, Taylor, the Saudis allegedly all given Rolls Royces by mm -hmm. MBS after the Argentina win because he's, he's a stand-up guy. So he did that for them. Um, he just didn't give them keys and he won't be giving them to him anymore. <laughs> well, I think they might just be like Kia Sorrentos now. He <laughs> might have switched out. Yeah. That was uh, just so they could get to the games with the traffic and not get stuck in the buses on go. the way to the stadiums. There you go. I like that they're playing deal or no deal version with cars. of like, yeah. oh, you could have taken the Rolls Royces, <laughs> but now you've got a Sorrento. Yeah. Better luck next time. Still a fine car. Maybe don't give Robert Lewandowski a goal. Yes, you're right, though. Uh, Ryan is now sponsored by Kia. You heard it here first. <laughs> but what, what what differences did we see in this Saudi team to the one we saw that beat Argentina, do you think? Uh, they didn't score two worldies. Yeah. No, I mean, Graham, Graham jokes there, and sorry if you were asking this to Taylor, but I'll, I'll hop in. I'm fine for you to hop cool. in. Cool. I'll hop then. Apology I'll, accepted. I'll, okay. finish the, I'll finish the hop. Saudi Arabia get very, very fortunate to beat Argentina. I'm not saying Argentina were perfect in that game, but... We talked about those two goals that they score. One is, Graham, an absolute worldly. The, the other one is, is a good goal, but it's not quite at that level. But the second one, I believe it was the second one that Saudi Arabia scored in that game, is just absurd. And, and they played with fire against Argentina with Lautaro Martinez constantly moving in behind. Angel Di Maria seeing that space as well. 
and they got off the hook. I think Argentina let them off the hook a bit in that game. Poland are not really in the business of putting many teams on the hook in the first place, mm. but in this match, they do enough, and, and Chesney does enough to keep Saudi Arabia off the board. When you go back through and you look at the XG for this game, they did get chances in Saudi Arabia. They did have their moments in this match, but really, the majority of them come, and mm. most of the XG comes from the penalty and the rebounded shot. This Saudi Arabia team just doesn't really look all that dangerous in the attack, and, and defensively, I guess they're fine, but yeah. some of their cracks, I guess, were exposed today as well. Joe likes the uh, the analytical analysis, and that tends to be the correct way to do it. I will add a little bit of like feels to this one, and this one felt like, let me back it up. The win over Argentina felt like a team that had zero expectation and played their game and weren't intimidated, and Argentina didn't take their chances. They had those goals disallowed, so then they couldn't take their chances. And Saudi Arabia had some cracks, scored some goals, and it was a great game. This looked like a game where now there was expectation, and in the midst of that expectation, there was nerves. And so you missed the penalty, or you have the penalty saved. That follow-up saved again. It's a great uh, save. I'm not taking anything away from Chesney. But you see that that nervous moment when that could have been it. That could have been the difference maker. And then obviously Lewandowski's goal, I mean, credit to Saudi Arabia for compelling the narrative of Lewandowski has now scored in a World Cup, but it's a terrible turnover, and you can see the panic. You can see the error there. It's very obvious, and and to me, this was a Saudi Arabia team that felt the pressure and couldn't live up to those expectations. Yeah, I think some of their play around the box was actually was actually quite nice. There was lots of one touch passes around the corner balls, and it was it was entertaining to watch at times. But the final action was missing, which comes down to the composure, yeah. which you're talking about, Taylor. There was one chance in particular, which was around the hour mark, where um, Poland are only one 0 up, and uh, they create Saudi Arabia create the chance. Nice build up a bit a bit of slick play around the box and then the pass is played to Ferris and his shot is so high and so wide that it was kind of unbelievable and I thought that summed up uh, quite a bit of Saudi Arabia's performance actually they had 1.71 expected goals in this game obviously a lot of that may be down to the penalty but that yes. was the the second highest um, expected goals number without scoring if that makes any sense yeah. at this tournament wow there we go. Uh, I'd like to proudly announce I got a VSP correct for this one. I said there would be three or fewer shots on target for Poland in this game. They had nine shots, three of them on target, baby. There you go, so buddy. I just squeaked another one, if you're going to give me that percentage oh, from the other day. absolutely. Excellent. Good stuff. I, I imagine po Poland at the top of this group now with four points, as we mentioned earlier on. As we all expected. I'm, I'm picturing like it's, they're the Paul Rudd meme. Like, who saw us at the top of group <laughs> uh, to see this part? Not me. <laughs> it's, it's impressive, right? Yeah, I, absolutely. It, who's on top of uh, the US? Is it England right now? Yeah, I guess we all saw that one coming. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the other one where you can get the Paul Rudd back and forth of the who saw this, not me. Uh, Belgium, top of group F? Yeah, maybe a little bit, yeah. Mm, Portugal, top of group F? Yeah, it's no, all pretty is... chalky as you get further and further yeah, down the list this is, here. This is the most not me of the not me's, let's say <laughs> that, shall we? All right, one thing left to do on this episode, make some very specific predictions mm -hmm. for tomorrow's game. Sunday's slate of games at 5 a.m. We've got Japan taking on Costa Rica. Will Costa Rica be any good? Who knows? We'll find out. 8 Eastern, we've got Belgium against Morocco. Then at 11, we're following up with Croatia versus Canada. And 2 o'clock, the big one, which you could watch at a watch party in Brooklyn with us if you so choose. Spain versus Germany. Let's start off, Graham, with a mm. VSP for Japan 
beating Costa I mean taking on Costa Rica <laughs> so my VSP for that game is that Japan will complete 80 or more line breaks uh, they completed 58 against Germany which wasn't bad that was enough for them to, to play through Germany in the second half when they came from 1-0 down to win 2-1 but against a Costa Rica team that showed they can play, be played through by a, an energetic technically able opponent in their first game I think that number is going to raise by quite a bit for Japan Graham can you guess how many attempted line breaks Spain had against Costa Rica 8 thousands <laughs> yeah. i know i'm not graham yeah. is it in the millions <laughs> it is 233 wow okay yeah so it feels like costa rica are quite susceptible bit, to, bit, to that bit. sort of play oh my <laughs> good stuff taylor we turn to you for a vsp for belgium taking on morocco sure uh i think this is going to be a really interesting game i could see this being similar to the uh belgium canada game of being a bit open of morocco i think trying to have more of the game or at least taking it to belgium on occasion especially hitting on the break. I think Ashraf Hakimi will be very important in that. I think he will attempt at least four dribbles in this game. Uh, I made this prediction before I was sure that Masrawi will be playing. He picked up an injury. It does seem like he will be okay to play, uh, but I still think uh, if he cannot play, then it will certainly be Hakimi carrying the ball forward and taking some people on, but even if Masrawi is there, I still think Hakimi is so good and that right side, as Joe has talked about previously, has so much talent there that if, uh, if Morocco are going to try to take the game to Belgium or try to hit them on the break, it's going to be down that right side. It's going to be Atraf Hakimi. Good stuff. Uh, Joseph, uh, John Herbman said before the Croatia Uh-oh. game, Uh-oh. we're going to go and F Croatia, which the Croatian, uh, Croatian newspaper responded by mocking up an image of him naked on their front cover after he made those comments. So is your VSP around a Canadian newspaper putting a Croatian coach or a player on, naked on their front page it's not but it really should be disappointed can i have a can i have a bonus i Taylor, Taylor takes two sometimes i'll say there'll be some sort of barb in a canadian newspaper after this game i don't know what it's going to be about but if this goes in canada's and, favor hang on will the barb say we're awful sorry in, in parentheses <laughs> afterwards oh, oh sorry <laughs> that was more midwest than it was canada anyway Joe, you can do a minnesota accent it's been established just make it a little bit more minnesota yeah minnesota oh sorry oh um <laughs> I am actually sorry for that. That's the bit I really am sorry for. There'll be some sort of barb in a Canadian column or or newspaper, whatever it is. My actual VSP is the other one. I will take that bonus point if I get it right. Is that Canada will register twice as many pressures in this game as Croatia. So I think back to the game that maybe only Graham and I watched of the four of us between Croatia and Morocco. That was a nil-nil draw of one of the many dull games that there there have been in this tournament. (laughs) That does count. Way to go. Good job. Um, Croatia did did not really care to pressure much in that game. And now let's think back to a game that I know we all remember, Canada against Belgium. Canada came out like lightning in a bottle in that game. They were incredibly aggressive. They were stepping forward. I compared it to the game they had against Mexico at the Azteca where they get a draw. Canada very much need something out of this game. They only have a, a very low percent chance of moving on right now. They're sitting on zero points in their group. I think John Herdman, Herdman's team is really going to go for it in this game, much like he said in their team talk after the match that they lost against Belgium. I think Canada are going to register twice as many pressures in this game as Croatia. Very good. Uh, final VSP for me for Spain versus Germany. This is two pass-happy teams, I think it's safe to say. I'm going to say that Spain will make more passes than Germany, but there will be less than 100 passes between them. Uh, the differential between the total amount of passes for each team, if that makes sense. I like it. So fewer than 100 passes between these two teams in terms of their totals. I, so I think We're talking I, like oh, 900 to 1,000 or whatever. Sure, yeah. I think Just I to saw, illustrate with numbers. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> I believe Luis Enrique said on Twitch, uh, I could be right. wrong, maybe it was a press conference. These days, who can tell, really? It's one and the same. Uh, he says something about how Germany is the closest team in this competition to Spain stylistically. Yep. 
I think that squares, really, when we think about the other teams in this competition. I think that's about right. Shots fired at Croatia, but whatever. Yeah. Or, I mean, I meant to take Costa Rica. I ruined the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, fair enough. But either way, I, I think there's something down. here in that prediction, Ryan. I like yeah. that one a lot. So, obviously, Spain broke a 1,000 passes in that game against Costa Rica versus Portugal in September, which was their last competitive game. It was 682 passes. The range under Lucho seems to be that 600 to 800 passes as the sweet spot. Uh, in the last meeting between these two teams, which was the 6-0 blowout, I'm not going to count that, but I will count the one that was a few weeks before <laughs> in September 2020. <laughs> that was a 1-1 draw, which I think is a more representative game of what we're going to get here, because I don't think it's going to be a blowout on this no. one. I think it quite could easily be a draw as well. That was 470 to 670 in Spain's favour. So a 200 range there. I think it's going to be much closer in this one. Germany against Japan had 770 passes. Um, back against England in September, their last competitive game before that, 581. So to me, it feels like we're going to be in that 600 to 700-ish kind of range between these two teams for passes. And as you mentioned, Enrique himself admitted between giving out recipes and whatever he does on his Twitch <laughs> that uh, he thinks Germany are pretty similar. And so do I in terms of passing profile. There what, you go. What more do you need, Ryan? What more do what you need? What more do you need? Tell you what we need. We need to head off into the sunset, maybe record some Patreon content as well, Joe. It's been a pleasure having you on this podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Taylor Rockwell, thank you as always, sir. Thank you, my friend. Graham Rutherford, keep on trucking, baby. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you for wearing your brand new Sterling Albion shirt all the way through this episode. Mm, Representing. Listener. Graham very kindly got a Sterling Albion shirt. It's very nice and... Scottish. Uh, <laughs> Save the whale. What was it, Graham? Free the whale. Free the whale. <laughs> it's a Sterling Albion thing. You, yeah, you guys yeah, 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 yeah. It's very mainstream yep. appeal. Listener, thank you for joining us on this World Cup podcast. We'll be back to review Sunday's game sometime on Sunday evening. But for now, bye. Bye.